Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. I'm Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men and host of the podcast, I'm so thrilled to be here today with my guest, Michelle Cameron. Michelle is the award-winning author of several works of historical fiction and poetry, including Beyond the Ghetto Gates, The Fruit of Her Hands, The Story of Shira of Ashkenaz, and In the Shadow of the Globe. Beyond the Ghetto Gates, which was published in 2020, has won numerous awards, and it's a book that I personally devoured. And I'm so delighted that Michelle is currently writing a sequel, which I hope she will tell us about. Michelle lived in Israel for 15 years, including three weeks in a bomb shelter during the Yom Kippur War and served as an officer in the Israeli army, teaching Air Force cadets technical English. She is a director of the Writers' Circle, a New Jersey-based organization that offers creative writing programs to children, teens, and adults. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and has two grown sons. So, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. And since it's such a favorite of mine, let's start out by talking about Beyond the Ghetto Gates. And for our listeners, can you just give us a short recap of the novel? Absolutely, Meryl. And I am delighted to be here today with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great. Thank you. So Beyond the Ghetto Gates takes place during the early years of uh, General Napoleon Bonaparte, when he was sent to Italy um, as part of the young French Republic's attempt to defend itself from numerous enemies that were attacking it. As he made his way through Italy, Napoleon discovered in the harbor city of Ancona that the Jews were locked behind ghetto gates from sundown to sunup every single day. And he decided to send his Jewish soldiers, and yes, there were Jewish soldiers in the French army at this time, to demolish the gates. So, uh, and he did this throughout um, Italy. This is mainly the story of how that action affected two very different women. The first is the Jewish girl, Morel, who is trying very desperately to work for her father in the family's ketubah, Jewish marriage certificate um, workshop, but is being prevented from doing so by the city's rabbi and her own mother, who wants her to marry a wealthy man. The other woman is the devoutly Catholic Francesca Moratti, who happened to be a real life person, who has been raised to revile the Jewish people um, and, you know, inculcated through her society, the clergy, her husband uh, to hate them, and whose mind is changed 
as she gets to know one of Napoleon's Jewish soldiers, Daniel. And there's a lot more, obviously, but that's kind of the bones of the story. Well, the, the two women were really um, fascinating characters. And I was particularly fascinated by, by Morel because she seemed to be uh, a very proactive young woman uh, for that time. Um, why did you create her like that? And do you think that um, there could have been a woman like her at the time? I, I do think that there are definitely women who did not fit the conventional mold. However, having said that, I have to tell you that I really struggled with the character of Morel. And I call this my feisty heroine problem. <laughs> um, what happens is that, you know, that during that period of time, most young women were brought up specifically to marry, um, to have a family, and not much else. Um, and I created Morel at the beginning to be a much more docile, demure okay. character, someone who right. fit the age. The problem was, as my 21st century early readers read the manuscript, the word I kept hearing echoed back to me was agency. She mm -hmm. doesn't have enough agency. Right. And so, you know, the, our 21st century readers have expectations um, about our heroines that don't always suit the period of time. So in my many, many, many revisions of this novel, Morel, um, I mean, Morel, yeah, Morel became much more proactive. And I actually ended up liking her better that way. Okay. Now, I didn't really know anything um, about the background of this novel before reading it. And um, I, how, how did you discover this fairly unknown period of history? It was a surprise to me, too. What happened is that um, somehow um, a book appeared in my house. And, and you have to understand, we're all book readers in my house. Mm -hmm. A book sort of magically appeared by the name of Emancipation um, by Michael Goldfarb. It's a nonfiction book. And it tells how the Jews, um, by being emancipated, sort of created both revolution and renaissance in that period of time in Europe. I was intrigued by the book. I was sitting out um, in my backyard one summer day and I came across this episode that Goldfarb um, describes of Napoleon coming to Ancona, seeing the gates and you know, sending out his soldiers to demolish them. And so I had basically two thoughts. The first was, I've never heard of that before. How fascinating. Right. And mm -hmm. the second was, why hasn't anyone written a novel about it? <laughs> so I okay. decided I would do that. Well, that it was a great novel. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was beautifully written. And, and the story was just so eye-opening. But I want to ask you... Um, I was discussing this with my husband and we were wondering um, 
why was Napoleon so sympathetic to the Jews? And he he asked the question that we ask of all famous people, was he actually Jewish? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was not Jewish. Okay. <laughs> um, and I'm also fairly convinced that he wasn't overly sympathetic to the Jews. Oh, okay. The thing about Napoleon is he had this huge vision of what his destiny should be. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to create himself in the eyes of his fellow Frenchmen as this hero of France. At the time, the French Revolution gave the Jews citizenship in France for the first time, basically anywhere in Europe in millennia. Um, which is why, by the way, you had French soldiers. They had both the, the privileges and the responsibilities of all French. French. Right. But, you know, I think what happened is Napoleon saw this opportunity to put himself forward, to, you know, forward the ideals of the French Revolution by emancipating the Jews in I Ancona mm -hmm. and other places. And <laughs> One of the reasons I say that is later on, he will hold a, um, a grand Sanhedrin where he brings together Jewish leaders. This is by the time he's emperor. Mm -hmm. And he will try and force them in, you know, sort of shoehorn them into becoming more French than Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of trouble doing that. So I think there are a number of things at play here, but I, I really don't think that, um, you know, I think it was more just an opportunity for him. Okay, and tell us about his Jewish nickname. So, okay, so the, the Jews of Italy were hugely um, grateful for this, as you can imagine. And so they had a play on his last name, Bonaparte, which mm -hmm. is a good part. And so in Hebrew, they called him Chelek Tov. Okay. A good Great. Okay. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit um, about your research uh, process, but I also want to ask you about historical um, fiction, um, you know, I, as a historical fiction writer myself, but uh, much more uh, modern times, um, why, why do you w write historical fiction? Why do you, why do you, um, why have you chosen that genre? For the most part, it's because I, it's what I love to read. And so, you know, I think the wisdom is write the book you'd want to read. And so that's one of the reasons I do it. Um, as you mentioned in your introduction, I actually started out um, more as a poet than as a um, fiction writer. And I ended up with my first historical novel, The Fruit of Her Hands, trying to sort of fit that into the sort of verse novel format that I had done previously. And it just wouldn't go, it wouldn't fit in there. And I discovered I had to write a historical novel. Um, and so I did. Um, and after that, I was sold. That was, that was why I really, wanted to write historical fiction because I was having so much fun 
both learning about the period as well as being able to convey a sense of that time of um, you know, the history. And I love writing about history that no one really knows about. Well, okay. So do you want to just tell us um, a little bit about um, the other two books about the, the periods uh, in which they take place? And then I'd really be interested in hearing about how you do your research. Sure. So the first book that I published, like I said, was a verse novel. It's called In the Shadow of the Globe, and it has nothing to do whatsoever with Jewish fiction. Um, I was deeply enamored with William Shakespeare at that point in time. Um, and I did a lot of research on his um, background on the Globe Theater. Um, and I created a fictionalized account in verse of, of, of Shakespeare and the life that he lived, etc. And it's the type of thing that if you start from the very first poem and you read the poems all the way through, you, sh you do definitely get a narrative story that follows from beginning to end. As I said, with um, The Fruit of Her Hands, which is actually the story of my um, 13th century rabbi ancestor. Really? Mayor, Mayor of Rothenburg. Yeah, I can trace my family tree back mm. to Mayor of Rothenburg, right? So um, I, I wrote that mainly because it was a family story, um, which again, I discovered um, when I was looking at my uh, family genealogy, which I did not compile. This was a relative of mine um, who pulled all that together. But um, what I discovered about him was absolutely fascinating. And again, it was kind of a, why is there not a novel about this? Um, so I wrote that novel from the point of view of his fictional wife, uh, Shira, and she was fictional because mainly there were no records really about any but truly outstanding women of that period of time. So I got to embroider. Um, and then, you know, you asked me about my research process. Right, how do you, re how, how do you research this? Right. So I discovered um, that um, one of the real uh, dangers of being a historical novelist is getting um, really down that rabbit hole of research and, mm -hmm. never, and never coming up. Because I think we love the research um, as much or more than the writing. <laughs> no, it, that's exactly right. So what I have taught myself to do is to take a three month period to get my arms around the subject and to discover the story. And finding the story is almost as important to me as you know what really happened during this period. So um, I will spend three months in intense research doing all the things that historical novelists do, you know, getting my hands on as many books as I possibly can, going to um, museums, um, very fortunate to live a train ride away from the Met, for example. Right. Taking a look at portraits, 
uh, reading contemporary fiction, and in this case, for Beyond the Ghetto Gates, I was really lucky because Jane Austen is a contemporary, and I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. Oh, wow, wow. So I had to reread everything she ever wrote, which was just pure joy for me. Um, so, and then of course, I'm making tons and tons of notes. I'm pulling together a timeline, which is critically important because, you know, you know, as a historical novelist, right. you have to hit certain dates, you know, and then right. weaving the story around that. Um, well. Yeah, no, and so just, um, and one thing that happened with Beyond the Ghetto Gates is that I got a couple of surprises in my research that really helped create the story. And the first surprise was that Ancona, Italy, which is a city I've still never been to, um, was the world's leading ketubah maker at the time. Wow. Um, which, you know, and I have some gorgeous, gorgeous examples of what the ketubah looked like. Um, and so that gave me sort of the background for what Morel wanted to do. She wanted to work in that back in that workshop. The second surprise was discovering the um, miracle portrait of the um, Virgin Mary. And, right, yes, yes. And that was fascinating because I came across that reference um, and I was trying to find source material and I ended up finding a Vatican document that described what happened. And that was where I found the character of Francesca Moratti being the first one with her daughter, Barbara, the first people who saw the miracle. Right, that, that, was, that was amazing. So I'm really looking forward um, to the sequel. Can you just give us uh, a, a, a little taste of it? Absolutely. So the next thing that Napoleon does in his career is I find it slightly bizarre. Um, he's he's um, told by the French government, we want you in some way, shape or form to challenge the British. And he goes, basically, he takes a look at the channel. He says, there's no way I'm not I'm not attacking them straight off. So what he does instead is he takes an enormous fleet and all of his soldiers and he makes the trip to Egypt and he conquers Egypt, which, right. you know, again, it's, it's kind of all about the sphere of influence. Right. With <clears throat> the British hot on his trail. And in fact, you know, um, they sink a bunch of his ships. And from... And the big thing is that he um, was supposed to let the Sultan of um, Turkey know about this because the Sultan was the one who basically owned Egypt and what was called Greater Syria. And that didn't happen. So he had to go out and defend himself in Israel. And so he um, ended up getting his first major defeat in the city of Akko in Israel. So okay. yeah. the this, this story will continue with um, the soldiers that were already introduced to in Beyond the Ghetto Gates with Daniel and with Kristoff. We continue Morel's story. She's back in Ancona. 
And um, it's very much a um, partially a romance, but a long distance romance. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. And um, we're we're running out of time, but there are a couple of more questions that I must ask you. So, Michelle, you spent 15 years in Israel, three weeks in a bomb shelter during the Yom Kippur war. Um, does that inform your writing in some way? Do you plan to ever uh, write about it or what? <laughs> um, I, I've written like three practice novels and two of them were set as like a teenager in Israel at that point in time. Um, they were practice novels. They're never going to see the light of day. <laughs> it doesn't mean I won't go back and, 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 and think about that, but um, I have no plans to do it. But the does, the, does, the ex, does the experience of, of being in a bomb shelter, does that, do you draw upon that at all? Have you drawn upon that in your writing or not yet? <laughs> I think it's a sequel a little bit because I do know what it's like to be in the middle of a war, mm -hmm. not necessarily in a bomb shelter, but in the middle of a war. Um, and there are a lot of war scenes um, in, in the sequel. But I think what really informed um, my, my writing of Jewish historical fiction more than anything else was I had a spectacular uh, high school history professor in Israel, you have to, you learn the history of Israel, you learn the history of the Jews. Um, and so I was so steeped, I really had a head start when I started writing Jewish historical fiction. Okay. And that really helped. Sure. <clears throat> Just, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the writer's circle. Um, I don't really know how you have time to uh, turn out these huge books because your books are not short and how you also find um, time to to help other writers. Um, what's what's that? What tell us a little bit about the writer's cycle circle and what it's like to help other writers find their way. OK, so I I um, joined the writer's circle actually when I was trying to get out of working for um, a corporate um, you know, have a corporate life in addition to my writing. I wanted what I called the writing life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, joining an organization that helped other writers just made sense to me. So that's kind of where it started. Um, I, I really love the work I do with the writer circle. I, for the, the kids, it's amazing to see them. Um, their imagination, their uh, verb, you know, they don't get a lot of this kind of creative writing anymore in school. And we just sort of set them free and let them see, you know, see what they, they come up with. And it's almost always better than anything I would come up with. So I'm really inspired by both the kids and the teens. In terms of my um, adult students, I teach our novelists, our aspiring novelists, and mm -hmm. I'm immensely proud to say that five of my novelists have published. Yes, that's amazing. And one of them actually was recently nominated for an Agatha Award, um, which is a um, mystery 
uh, like a um, cozy mystery award. Oh, wow. Who is that? And, What's her uh, name? Her name is Mally Becker. She okay. was nominated for her debut novel, The Turncoat's Widow. That's and, wonderful. And it's, it's kind of an Academy Award kind of award because you're nominated by your peers. So um, very, very pleased for her and very proud of her. But it's amazing to watch, you know, these students who come into class and not quite, you know, knowing what has to go into a novel and helping them along the way. Wow. Uh, so, Michelle, uh, would you like to um, tell people where they can find you? Absolutely. So my website is the easiest place to start. And that is Michelle with two L's, dash Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N dot com. Um, I'm also active on Facebook and I have an author's page there, as well as uh, Instagram, uh, where I am Michelle Cameron Writer. Um, I am also on Twitter, but I have to tell you that I am not very active on Twitter. I, I, I'm not either. I, that's We have to teach that to each other. There you go. I think you have to pick and choose your social media. I think so. I think so. I, I think Facebook is um, a really great place uh, for, for book lovers and, and for authors. I found that the best venue. And, you know, I, I started um, this Facebook group, Jews Love to Read, a year ago, and we are already, um, we have more than, than 2,000 members. And it's just, I mean, the, the quality of the, the posts and the, you know, we really learn a lot about uh, Jewish books. So I, I, like, I like Facebook, but I'm, I'm willing to learn others as well. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to add, Michelle? Well, just I do want to um, applaud you for um, Jews who love to read. I'm very happy to have gotten in on that at the ground floor. Yes, that you're a charter member. Thank you. <laughs> and I think it's a fabulous community that you've built there. So, Thank you. you know, kudos. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Michelle. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack, and Roman Sorodin, our producer. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylane.com. Until next time, read a good book.